Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright, and today on the show, the total value of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Air Fleet, minus one. Oh. That's right. Today we're talking about minute 124, two hours and four minutes into this film, which begins with director Nick Fury in motion and ends with the F-35 Lightning II in motion. Back on the show, we've got Lester and Keenan from The Exorcist Minute. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. We had you on a few days ago. Um, Now you're joining us as we're finding out that the World Security Council has kind of taken control of things. They have uh, somehow given the command to launch as as uh, we find out, two F-35s. But uh, for some reason, uh, when at the start of this minute, we're coming in on uh, Maria Hill calling out that there's a bird in motion and it's not authorized and we've got to stop this, all this sort of stuff. Is there anything that should be telling her that there are actually two F-35s that are taking off right now? That w- was what I was wondering. <laughs> you, you would think that... <laughs> That she would know about both of them. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so are we to make the case that the World Security Council authorized a decoy bird in motion? Is that what we're saying here? Is it a decoy or is it like, um, are they just doing it because, you know, if you, I mean, what's the line in contact? You know, why why build one when you can build two for twice the price sort of thing, you know? It's, it's, well, it's like, if we're sending a nuke to New York, we might as well blast it twice. Well, them, right. well I, and I'll tell you, it was until just watching it for, for this round of talking about it that it struck me that there are competing uh, observations here. What I'd always thought was, until we did this by movie by minute, that that plane takes off as part of the general sort of chaos of running a flying aircraft carrier. That's what it does. Planes come and go. Hmm. But then we start looking at this movie by minute, and we realize that the movie has to exist with all of the violence wrought by the heroes, wrought by the superheroes, the six of them who are actually fighting. There are no other, except for the New York Police Department, until the very end, we don't have any other aircraft that are fighting on behalf of good he says with heavy air quotes. So that plane can't be taking off for anything other than what color uh, until we get here. When I'm, when I'm just starting to think, I think you're right. Maybe there are two nukes and two planes. I mean, it could, it could have been Bob going on a coffee run. (laughs) Yeah. How else do you get coffee to the helicopter? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Keenan. <laughs> no, it just did not occur to me at all. I, uh, I guess I just accept it with the movie logic, the forward momentum. Like, okay, he blows up one, but then it's still going. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So did he blow up the wrong one? Right. <laughs> he blew up the one that was going to start. Is yeah, his own order is now impacted. Like he's not going to get his almond milk chai latte, and I worry about that. Uh, he needs the boost. But the problem is he also apparently has very little value for the cost of a single uh, fighter jet uh, on his craft. That that seemed like rough play. And potentially the person flying it almost fell off because uh, I, I, I think he's just lucky that it didn't go off the edge. But okay. I kind of don't think he would have cared had it. <laughs> right. And I, no. I think that explosive device 
flying at jet plane would have caused a larger explosion on the on the deck. <laughs> I, I just think that jet fuel is, last I checked, combustible. Well, it hits a wing. It just hits a wing and cripples it. It doesn't blow it up. Isn't that where a lot of fuel is stored? I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm very bad with my... Uh, well, remember, these ones just have the single jet in the back. They don't have the ones on the on the wings. No, I just mean like like in don't they have I think tanks are in in like passenger jets. But maybe we need to do some real time research. Talk amongst yourselves. Welcome to the anatomy of planes minute where we talk about right. There was a what was an inter, uh, Internet movie airplane database or something there like is. that yes. that we had you pulled up earlier. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to do that. But uh, <laughs> other people, other people I could. actually have it open, believe it. Or oh, not, there for, you go. Uh, yeah. For this particular episode. Yes, because these are the. Uh, the F-35 uh, Lightning twos, and, and two of them take off. This is the same one that we had seen earlier that had come down with the pilot who decided, I'm going to shoot at Hulk to distract him and, and, you know, rip a hole into the bottom of the hull of our of our helicarrier so it can't actually land on the water again. And uh, so it's another one of these. And so now two of the their F-35 Lightnings have been destroyed over the course of the film because the other one, the Hulk, destroyed in this one, uh, Fury takes out. Um, but the third one gets away. Can I just can I just interrupt? This is really important. Oh, sure, sure. You've, you've done some real-time research. Where is the fuel on an F-35 it Lightning is, it, Fighter jets and helicopters have fuel tanks that store fuel uh in that in wing spurs so yes there is mm. fuel in the wing right they have the extra fuel tanks that sometimes hang below the the fighter and that's for a longer distance but if you just are taking off then it's in the fuselage and in the wing spurs so i'm just saying yeah it should have blown up bigger I wanted bigger blow-ups. <laughs> I, 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 you know, the, the thing that I think is surprising that doesn't happen is these shield workers in yellow don't freak out that the admiral <laughs> of this helicarrier has come out with a bazooka, with a bazooka <laughs> right. from somewhere and fired on their own guy. Right. And and mm. they don't they don't like start filing a report right away. <laughs> yeah. right. Keenan, how do we know how do we know that might have been the fifth time that day? <laughs> when when you work for Nick Fury, <laughs> always expect a bazooka. Yeah. Expect a bazooka. Yeah. He has like six Persian cats, you guys. Like everybody right. knows this about Fury. There's that there's that little whiteboard. It's like we have gone one hundred and twenty five <laughs> days and now they have to now they have to cross that out. We have <laughs> Zero days without <laughs> using a bazooka. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it, that was a really a, another funny thing. Like, he, he, quick thinking on Fury's part, as soon as Hill calls that out, like, he runs out of the deck as quick as he can. But remember, the deck is on the bottom of the helicarrier. So the helicarrier has to have not only amazingly fast elevators to get him from the bottom all the way up to the top deck so he can do this, but also I'm assuming the elevators have bazooka storage in them. <laughs> They're just on the wall by every door. <laughs> That's one of the requirements when working with Nick Fury. He has to have a bazooka right. ready for every, you know. Yeah. And he comes out with those he's he's ready all the time. It's like they you know, she keeps like, "Ah, we got we got a malfunction in in the 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 um the, the interface." And he comes in with a bazooka. It's like, oh, okay, I don't need this now. Yes, first aid kit, fire extinguisher, bazooka. Bazookas. Yes. <laughs> Why is my bazooka rack empty? 
that's the, that's when he says that all the time. I like here this relationship between Hill and Fury. This feels like where we really start to get what's established in the rest of the MCU, right? You all, you've been doing some really great work on the show about oh, Hill was originally um, written as this antagonistic force, and she's working with him, but but against him at the same time. And and here, I really like this interplay between them, where they're mm. in each other's ear, and they're they're responding to each other. And I, I, apparently fans, or obviously fans did too, because that became what the relationship was, as opposed to trying to find another spot for her to be antagonistic. So I, I really appreciate what's going on with them here. That scratches that itch of, like, when the chips are down, when the like the big crisis is happening in the movie and you have like all of these kind of like disparate um, uh, uh, forces kind of like working together and doing that kind of like montage like, you know, and the swelling music. And it's like, yay, we're all using our, our special, uh, you know, abilities to, to make this work and, you know, and fight the big bad. And hers is pressing iPads really fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Really fast. Really and knowing what all of those things mean. <laughs> what I, I love about stuff like this is the fact that, you know, our Kobe Smolders is on set with just a, a, a piece of glass there in front of her. <laughs> and it's just fun that she they just said, Okay, you're just gonna be tapping, do it do three taps in the center and then do a swipe or something like they probably have some sort of direction like that, and then the animators come in and they just have to put all these buttons in front of where she's tapping and swiping and stuff to make it mm-hmm. actually look like she's doing all this stuff, which is, I don't know, it's just fun to imagine like the, the process of, of kind of coming up with this. Right. That's uh, like uh, Keenan and I talk about like what an actor does to prepare on our show, like, like, you know, before, before, uh, you know, a certain scene. And I was wondering about that. I was like, does, does, is she, is she, is the actress thinking like in her mind, like what windows she's opening, what things she's moving around, or is it more just like push, 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 swipe, 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 you know? Right. Like how method are they really going? Yeah. Right. Process of this. Yeah. I like to think Zod, she has this is like frozen. A, it's crashing. Yeah, <laughs> she has like an interface journal for her pre- preparation where she's like drawn out the screens of what she needs to press in what order. I really like that. Yeah, that's what Lester <laughs> and I would do. I think I don't know if Colby Smolder is is as uh, insane as us, <laughs> but that's ex- exactly Lester. That's what I would be doing yeah. is trying to mm-hmm. figure out each button and what it means, and mm-hmm. and then I'd get there and Joss Whedon would be like, "We really, really don't have time. Really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. right? Can we we can we?" Come Cut your 10 key combination down to just two pushes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I would be asking about, it's like, it's like, I want to know, like, is there an onboarding? Like, you know, whatever program I'm using, like, I don't imagine it's something that, you know, I just pick up or, you know, like, you know, maybe I'm savvy with an iPad, right? right? So I'm thinking, like, like, I probably had to learn this program and that got me thinking, like, what if, what if, and this is what, ha- like, what actually happened to me in my real life, like, what if the internal systems in- interface is just, like, too much? <laughs> and like do they do they let her go right like is there severance pay <laughs> do they say you know it's just like i'm sorry like that you know the world is at stake but like right. you you couldn't figure this out fast enough um also please don't tell anyone about this pinky swear you know like, <laughs> right, right right no no lester we're not putting you through the employee orientation for a shield bridge agent that doesn't exist so you can play this part just push on the screen where's the where's the vhs tape right, right. with the really bad actor being like welcome to shield that's right can i just be that yeah well we've already talked about marge the uh the uh 
uh, the lady who works in the dining hall. Like, you know, if there are other shield jobs for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once that security clearance is <laughs> saving the world one Rice Krispie square at a time. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I, I really do like, I was thinking a lot about Hill, even though she's only very briefly in our minute because of seeing Secret Invasion, uh, this week, which had, which had come out. And, um, Lester and I were talking earlier about how she has, you know, these scars that are just pretty. Both her and uh, um, Black Widow have scars, so we can see they're fighting, but they're really framing their beauty. They're like glamour scars, right? <laughs> right on the mm. edges of there. Yeah, and hers in, um, you know, Secret Invasion is a drama because her scar is on her nose, and it, it is not a glamour scar at all. <laughs> yes, no, it looks yeah. actually like an injury. Yeah. It looks like a real right. injury. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, you know, we don't need to go into everything with Secret Invasion, but it is just interesting, like, the the way that the relationship between these two characters, uh, I guess you could just say it's because we don't get the setup um, of her character being more antagonistic here. It just becomes a very consistent relationship between the two of them all the way through where she's essentially always Fury's uh, right-hand person, like always there to just kind of help. And that kind of becomes her story. And I don't know if, you know, I, I think that if, if I were Kobe Smulders, I would kind of wish that there was a little bit more I could do with it, you know, that it was um, a little more meaty. But at the same time, it's like, well, I get to be in the Marvel films and they keep paying me to come back. So, <laughs> right. Do we get the idea that, like, if Fury goes, then she's next in line? Or that's a really good that's a really good question. It's never spelled out in the film. But uh, and actually, I mean, Fury, uh, you know, quote, dies for a time and she doesn't get to step up. So I guess not would be the <laughs> answer. It's just, because she doesn't have uh, those IT skills. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> right. she, she never got the onboarding. Else. She never got that certification. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. The um, the helicarrier. You know, we've talked about the designs of the helicarrier uh, over the years in the comics and how it's changed a lot. And this helicarrier is an interesting one because it has these two runways. And you know, I suppose part of the idea also of wanting to have the two runways is specifically for this moment because we have him take out this F-35 on one runway, but then the lower runway is actually where the other jet is taking off from. And so it's actually just interesting like that. And I, I, I may not have ever noticed this until kind of exploring the film this way, the fact that, oh, we're finally actually getting to see both runways in use kind of at the same time. And that is kind of an interesting element with the film where they are actually showing us the use of them. And I love the shot uh, after that uh, F-35 takes off where we're kind of ahead of it and we're watching as the helicarrier kind of drifts into the background. And it's just, it's a great shot kind of showing kind of the, the lay of uh, the land, I suppose, up here in the sky. Yeah. One thing that we do see Fury contemplate doing after he uses his bazooka uh, shot to take out this first one is he decides on the second one, I'm just going to pull my pistol out and maybe just shoot at it. <laughs> I love it. That reminds me, of course, of uh, General Patton, at least in the movie Patton, yeah. where he actually does. He he thinks you know, he shoots at a plane with his is a uh, small arm, and uh, 
it goes down and he assumes that he has killed the pilot somehow, which probably isn't what happened at all. (laughs) There's probably some (laughs) other thing going on, but he's convinced of his greatness. Now, even even watching this again, um, having seen the movie before, I was like, yeah, Fury's going to do it. If anybody can do it. (laughs) Just through sheer will and Samuel L. Jackson-ness. That That one eye is really, really good. (laughs) Well, it's surprising Mm -hmm. that he doesn't take a shot because earlier in the film, when they're escaping the uh, the collapsing structure where their uh, Project Pegasus is, he actually is firing on them, even though the, it's in the night and they're behind hills and bushes and trees and, and uh, whatnot, yet he keeps firing. And so it's interesting like that at this particular moment, um, he decides not to. And I mean, I can't imagine he would have hit it, but still, it's, it's odd that, right. that here he doesn't. Well, I just want to say that there are cases of uh, of small arms fire bringing down large aircraft, although rare. There are apparently, according to this pilot, hundreds of places on aircraft that can be compromised with uh, with larger weapons, uh, you know, semi-automatic rifles. Uh, but there is a case in Afghanistan in 2015 where an F-16 was brought down by small arms fire just like this. So... Does could happen, and maybe Fury is just saying, "I remember that time in Afghanistan <laughs> mm-hmm. when he pulls out his pistol." <laughs> but then, why doesn't he shoot it? Like I, I, the, oh. uh, well, because he doesn't have act. He can't see one of those hundreds of places on the aircraft, Andy. <laughs> he can't see it. Obviously, imagination. <laughs> but what's he? What is he? Okay, this is a, this. What is he afraid he is going to hit? I, I right, think they, right. they are. When he more fired the bazooka, of, yeah. he was. There was a ton of stuff in the way. Now he has a completely clear line of shot with his little nine millimeter. This is a trope. This is a trope that that bothers the <laughs> out of me. Every like every movie, like wait, like like you're 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 you draw your gun. You've gone to the trouble to draw your gun on something that is getting away, and then you don't shoot. And it's like no, no, I can't. Yeah, like right, just, it's it's like, not like a, a bus of school children pulls in front between him and, oh, and, and the Jeff. Shield School, the Shield Helicarrier School. <laughs> hey, was there. Exactly. We didn't right. see that. Yeah. the daycare. Yeah. No, they're more. They're the Leviathan <laughs> floats in front, and it's like, oh no, wait, no, those are oh <laughs> no, the those are friends. <laughs> <laughs> It's. I mean, it is one of these things that does feel very tropey, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, it would make so much more sense for him to fire. Like, especially like knowing that this is the nuke that is going to blow up New York. I want to, to stop it, but I'm not going to shoot. It just, it ends up feeling... Right. Um, I would empty my gun uselessly, because I wouldn't hit it, right? I would empty my gun, and then throw my gun right. at it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then the Fully clip. aware that that does nothing. And then I would go then, hop yeah. in another jet and fly after it. Yes! Like, Yes, this, it's this. It, well, it's something very odd about this film. Like the helicarrier, the people on the helicarrier. Um, I suppose to a certain extent, it's not the Shield movie; it's the Avengers movie, and so we need to kind of make sure they're not doing a lot of stuff, you know. Because like once we get to the point where Tony's chasing the nuke and everything, and we'll talk about this, uh, you know, down the road. But it's. I just feel like the helicarrier kind of they they write out the fact that the helicarrier could potentially be doing other things because it has things it can be doing. Mm. Yeah, the helicarrier is full of the six Avengers and about two thousand support staff, and that's it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, all the rest of the flying, the the jets and everything on here, it's really just to get the Avengers around. 
Yes. <laughs> and they're impeccably maintained because they're never flown. Right. Mm. Can we can we talk about Tony? Well, we before, to Tony? before we talk about Tony, I want to talk about radios because uh, we've talked about the radios. Like, who has the radios before? We were joking about how Hulk doesn't have one because if they put it in Bruce's ear, it would just fall into uh, Hulk's ear His, canal when he yeah, changes. Sign his mm. cavity, right? Right. <laughs> so what it seems to be, Fury calls Tony here. So we know Fury and Tony are connected with their their ear radios what are we calling those things mm. uh anyway they're connected steve has one because he'll be talking to people natasha has one and clint so as it seems it really does seem to be the team that was left on the helicarrier neither thor nor hulk seem to and they are the two who fell out of the helicarrier so it really speaks to the fact that the team who was here when they were getting ready to take off they all made sure that they had a way to communicate and that really actually makes sense like when you think about it in context of things they got synced up. Yeah. 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 Are we not ruling out that the that uh, Thor and Hulk may have them? They just never answer. They just never listen. <laughs> <laughs> They're always on the wrong channel. Yeah. They're on channel three. <laughs> Hulk, go to three. Hulk, go to three. Yeah. New phone to death. <laughs> 124,000 unanswered messages. Hmm. (laughs) So, yes, we do get Fury calling Stark to tell him the missile's heading straight for the city. And that does bring us to to Iron Man and to Tony Pete. Okay. I like this because it is fun. Uh, Tony is being overrun. And we get that great HUD shot where we're looking at Tony. We've already celebrated the joys of the HUD shot looking at his face. But then we get the reverse HUD shot where he's targeting Chitari through the HUD. And that's kind of a kind of a new first person shooter uh, view for us. I think in this movie, I don't think we've had that uh, any of that yet. Uh, but check me on that, Andy. Is that true? Do you remember anything else? I don't. Uh, I, I, I feel like we've novel. seen him. We've seen. Well, I don't know if it's novel. We've seen him targeting plenty of things in the past, like in the very first Iron Man yeah, film. That's what I mean. But in this movie. Yeah, I, I don't think we've seen. Well, we really haven't seen him in battle, uh, you know, right up to this uh, sequence. And so, yeah, maybe not. So I I like it. I just think it's fun uh, to have that shot and have it uh, because I I I like these kinds of things. And it's not overused for my taste to the point where it's, you know, doom the movie. Um, It it really is just a way to transition to Tony in trouble. And we need Tony in trouble uh, because that is the pace of plot. Right. Well, and we are getting some nice, I I guess you could call it head blows uh, from looking at tony in the not through the hud but but toward him where we're looking past the hud to his face like right around second 43 44 as he gets hit in the head you know his head kind of whips to the to his left and then his right and you can see the whole hud moving around him and it's just kind of a fun way to kind of portray that and again i always imagine like the days where tony is filming these extreme close-ups of his face um as they're trying to figure out okay we need a whip pan here we need to kind of have you shaking your head we need you looking to the left we need you looking to the right like just i can imagine the complexities of trying to figure out how are we filming robert downey jr to capture these particular moments 
They're not just hitting him in the head. They are. I think that's what they're they're doing. I do wish the one thing, you know, we look at the at the HUD uh, UI and I think it's it's great looking. It's always great looking. I can't make out most of it on the version that I have here. But what I really want to have right as he's getting hit in the head is I want Jarvis to put on screen concussion, concussion, concussion. (laughs) Like he's getting hit hard. And when you hear the helmet hit the pavement, that's a that's a knock. And I think it'd be cool if the suit were aware of the damage that it's that it's you know giving taking. him his vitals yeah, as well. right, yeah. right. That means, like yeah. in like in a video game right that that's the yeah, kind exactly. of thing that we're used to right, right. exactly yeah and pete to, to like to go back to what you're saying like that that's actually a really good point because that point of view that pov would be really tempting to you know kind of like drag out and use um uh, again and again and again but it's good that like the the time that we get it is not like a normal instance where he's like scanning things. It's where he is in trouble, right? Right. And we're we're saying something by having that be the only time we get to see through his POV. And and what makes this novel to the other POV shots that we've gotten, I think, in the rest of the movies, is that we see his hand in front of it. We get to see the augmented reality display of his hand firing through the HUD, and I think that's a, that's a cool effect too. That is very cool. Yeah, we get to see his perspective while while we see some of the uh, farmers insurance ads. So <laughs> to remind yes. us that we are in product placement corner. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do like in that scene uh, in that screen when we're looking at the HUD, you can actually see the palm repulsors lit up on the screen there, and then a whole list of a, a rockets to the left of that, and they're all at zero percent. So you know he's. Yeah. It, I mean, little moments like that are nice because it gives you a sense of just how long this battle has been going on and how. He He's really kind of getting to that point where his resources are dwindling and he's going to have to start coming up with some other other ways to play. Yeah. And it gives us a visual of his resources depleted because we can't see it on his suit like we can Hawkeye, who just lets us look at an empty quiver, which is, you know, that's their munitions gauge. Exactly. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the point where uh, Tony uh, now has to shift his plan. At this point, it's been taking enemies out, whether it's Chitari or these poor sea cows of the sky, whatever it is that he's destroying, he's taking them out, but he's also getting overrun. Now he has a new directive. He has to stop this missile, and he, as he says, he has Jarvis put everything into the thrusters, and then he takes off, dragging a Chitari with him, who then falls and crashes. All we're missing is the Wilhelm scream from that moment. (laughs) Otherwise, it's it's great. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Uh, and then where we're left at the very end of this minute, we find, uh, you know, somber music. Alan Silvestri is giving us some somber tones, uh, hinting at the potential tragedy of this, of what could happen if this F-35 makes it to New York, New York City with its nuke. It's, you know, kind of giving us that mm-hmm. heavy, that heavy moment that we have here. And that's where this minute ends. Yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts about anything going on with kind of this setup that we have of getting the nuke off and off to the city? Just that. You know, a common complaint I've heard even from fans of the Avengers, right, is the sort of out of order, big, you know, normally you fight the minions working up towards a big bad. And this movie doesn't have that, right? We we fight Loki, he's taken care of, and then we have a bunch of minions afterwards. I've heard that as a complaint. Um, I guess I had forgotten before we were looking at this movie again that, yeah, it's actually boiling down to this nuke is sort of the the big bad. And, the you know, in, in some ways, the World Security Council, right? That, <laughs> that evil organization 
that's doing this. That's the big bad. So I think it's really useful to sort of um, rally behind some specific object uh, as opposed to, well, we just have to kill a thousand and one baddies and we're done with it. No, I think that's a really good point. Like we, one of the things we sort of diagnosed along with that argument is like part of once Loki dies, we don't really know who the big bad is anymore because the Chitauri are still fighting. Um, and, and yet the, the big bad is suddenly sort of unveiled, mysteriously unveiled when the bomb destroys the thing in the, in the space hole, eventually we'll get to that, that point. But that tells us that there's a big bad we don't know about. And, and maybe that's the sort of comic arc of the narrative here. So it, it's, it's a little bit of, of, uh, of, you know, close up magic, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, it's, it, it, it's funky it, because it does really shift things for us it, because, and I suppose also it speaks to the speed at which they're trying to end things now, because it's like, well, you we already took Loki out. So isn't that kind of our big bad? oh, no, we still have this whole other thing that also has to happen. And, and so it's like, and that was, I mean, Loki was uh, Loki was taken out in minute 121, so just a few minutes ago. And and we're so now we're like really rushing, trying to figure out, okay, how can we get rid of the rest of this as quick as possible so the story doesn't feel like it's dragging? And that's always a, always a dilemma. He was taken out. He was sort of low-key dispatched and... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Stop it. Stop it. They're not going to let us back on the air. <laughs> <laughs> you already did your low key joke. Back yeah, when we had I know. <laughs> well, I forgot. Yeah, so. uh, good stuff. Well, Lester Keenan, it's always a pleasure talking with you two. Thanks again for joining us today. Yeah. What a fun time. Thank you so much. Tell everybody again about the Exorcist Minute and where people can tune in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can find us on, um, well, now, Andy, I guess, uh, can we say, can of we? Of course. Announce? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, we are, we are part of the, the True Story FM network Woo-hoo! now. Um, so you can go to the exorcistminute.com or you can go to True Story FM and we are one of the, one of the shows on there now. The Exorcist Minute. We, we examine, extrapolate and excavate, uh, the, the iconic, film, the most terrifying movie of all time, The Exorcist, minute by minute. Um, we're up to minute, uh, I should have checked before, 79. Well, 79. By, the, by the time this comes out, it'll be probably <laughs> 90. Oh, <laughs> right. I'm talking, we, yes, we're, we're talking to you in the future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a, it is a great, great, great show. And we're so, we're thrilled, thrilled to, oh, to be able to partner with you and support absolutely. the show. Uh, we will have the links for everything in the show notes. Everybody check those out. And remember, if you don't see them in your podcatcher, just go to marvelmovieminute.com and you can get everything there. That is it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 125 and close out the week. So, Pete, thanks as always. Moment we've always been waiting for, Andy. Slow motion hero moment. Oh, until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.